Hustling drugs was a way of life for Greg Washington, but it's when he left that life behind that he realized anyone, not just a drug dealer, can be a hustler. This time on the Jules Show podcast, Jules talks to Greg for a street-level perspective on hustling and how his journey led him to Jesus. So, Mind of a Hustler, you wrote the book, and it's God's story of how he redeemed you. But in the book, you described what a hustler is, because I think we all have our ideas of, you know, your side hustle and things like that. But what's your definition of a, a hustle? Well, to be politically correct, it's just anything that you would do for immortal gain. Uh, I think, you know, most of the time we hear hustling is automatically credited to the street hustler. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think anything that you would do to get money and it's not right, it's hustling. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Greg. Tell everybody your story, how you got here. Take us all the way back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I'm the only child to Timothy and Mary Stubblefield. Um, I was born in Houston, Texas in 1970 of September. and um, Texas guy, huh? Yeah, I was born in Texas. By way of California, by way of Florida, by way of Georgia. That's what happened to your southern accent. You lost it in California, yeah. didn't you? Well, <laughs> let my wife tell it. No, I'm real, I'm real southern. <laughs> you real southern. Yeah. So um, your only child. Yeah, only child, and grew up to Tim and Mary. Uh, they were teenage parents when they had me. I think my father could have been 20, but my mom was still uh, about 16, and. Um, you know, I just grew up and early on just seen some dysfunction in my family that, you know, as a little kid, you shouldn't see uh, my father. Uh, he was abusive mm-hmm. and uh, kind of saw that early on in the relationship between him and my mom. And then eventually she couldn't take it anymore and she they separated. Mm-hmm which kind of broke my heart. Because, How old were you? Um, maybe about five. Okay, young. Yeah. So it kind of broke my heart because, you know, as a kid, you always want your parents to be together, you know, mom and dad. But um, so then um, I would just go visit him on the weekend, and that went on, and, and eventually he moved to California, which um, at that time my mom had, uh, got with a man, and he was kind of like my stepfather's pretty good guy. Um, put me into sports. I played football, ran track, played baseball. Mm. Just did all the things. Triple that, threat, huh? Yeah, yeah, that kids would do. And, uh, you know, life was good. Yeah. Um, in, in your book, Mind of a Hustler, you, you started to see men figures in your life getting into hustling right. to make extra money. Yes. So, um, well, I, I first saw that was through my mother's oldest brother, my uncle. And he worked for the city of Houston, and I put that in a book, and mm-hmm. he sold marijuana uh, on the side. It was his side hustle. I mean, he would work five days a week on the weekend. He, you know, during the week he would sell marijuana. And, you know, I'm seeing this as a young child. I'm like, you know, I, I didn't think nothing about it. I just With a respectable was, job, Monday through Friday. Yeah. 
Yeah, and his wife worked for, it, it was Southern Bell at the time. Uh, mm. It wasn't AT&T, so it was Southern Bell. <laughs> so they, you know, they was um, a good family, you know. Uh, he was married. and uh, But I, I saw that yeah. and witnessed that, and I was like, hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of started seeing it at a young age, and then my stepfather, which was the guy who stepped in with my mom, he would give him marijuana to sell so it was kind of you know early Some fast service. money yeah it was just fast extra money so i saw that yeah and i'm sure early. seeing it at a young age you, you almost get desensitized like this is just what you do to supplement your income yeah yeah it was it's like it wasn't no big deal it was like a social thing it wasn't like you know they got a hundred cars pulling up at one time it was like you know you might come over and you know they might drink a few beers and he might Somebody might purchase marijuana to take home with them. Or mm-hmm. They'll socialize around it, you know. So it it was, it was a different look from, you know, when by the time I, I decided you ramped it up. Yeah, you ramped yeah, it up. Yeah, it was, All right, but there was a very special relationship with your grandmother. Yes, where she really showed you what a a true Christian looked like. Yes, uh, the late Fannie Mae Stubblefield. Um, I got a blessed opportunity early on to live with her as, you know, maybe three or four when my dad was stationed in Hawaii um, and she was living in Los Angeles. She was living in Inglewood. Well, she was living in Los Angeles. Uh, And I used to go to church with her all the time. Hmm. My grandmother went to church Monday through Thursday, maybe even Friday, some meetings. Monday through Thursday. (laughs) Yes, yes, because... Her house was in the back of the parking lot of the church. And uh, so she was a proud member of uh, Bright Star for 60-plus years. What are some of the truths that now as a grown man that you can remember her planting as a child? Oh, man, my grandmother could pray. Uh, I remember when I first got saved, um, Holy Spirit kind of took me back to my my grandmother's bedside. Wow. And I, it was, the pictures in my mind was real clear because she had a four-post wood bed with a, with a chest, chest of drawer at the end with a quilt. She used to quilt, a colorful quilt that she used to have. She used to put on the floor when she would pray. Mm. And, um, I remember just as a small child falling asleep because she prayed so long. <laughs> and uh, she would wake me up, Gregory, go get in the bed. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was, it was she, she planted a seed early, and I think she baptized me when I was about five, <laughs> five or six, I think. The second time I went back out, she made sure I, I got baptized. So was she aware? Um, Did she live long enough to see God redeem your story? She did. She did. She did. Um, um, she came out in 1996 to Georgia, and I'll never forget it. It was, it was around this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was getting close to Easter, and we went to church together. Wow. And at this time, I'm fully engulfed into the street life, and, of course, she's very aware. She knew it. Uh, she was like, she's seen the elaborate cars and a mm. lot of the things that I had. And uh, 
And I remember dropping it off because at this time she had got a pacemaker. So she didn't fly as much because my grandmother could fly free because we had a cousin. She had worked for Southwest for so many years and had my grandmother on her plan. But she, at this time in life, she wanted to take an Amtrak. And I remember dropping her off and she looked at me and she said, Gregory, you know you got to change your life. God is not pleased with you. And pierced your heart didn't it? yeah i was like wow yeah you know my 40th birthday my wife malika i just took the youth pastor position and youth program director for the city of refuge flew my grandmother in without me knowing it to let her see me take that position and uh it was i'm telling you it was amazing it was almost like that day was an example of what heaven looked like. It mm-hmm. was a lot of people from City Refuge, a lot of people mm-hmm. that had been supporting my change. And for your grandmother to and see all those aunt prayers that. being answered. Yeah. yeah well, was, I had the privilege, I don't know, Greg, it was probably a couple of months ago now, to meet your wife, Malika, and she knew uh, who you are now. She right. didn't know the guy from, uh, from the streets yeah. selling drugs, yeah. having a um, 20-year uh, sentence. And I asked her, I said, when you hear stories of how uh, Greg used to be, how, how does that ever come to you? And she's like, it's like a t- telling me about a different man. So go back. I know I kind of took a left turn on your grandmother, uh-huh. but go back. You, you, you were raised um, kind of being desensitized that this is what you do. You sell some drugs on the side. You have a respectful job Monday through Friday. That was what your uncle did. That's what your stepdad did. This is what you saw being done. But you ramped it up because you were not just selling marijuana. You were taking it to the next level. Right. Right. So you want me to talk about that? Yeah. 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 So. um, If you don't mind. I I, I tell every opportunity that I get to speak to young people, um, you know, I came to the point to realize that drug selling was kind of perpetrated on. Uh, Explain so, that. So I'm living in South Florida at this time because my mother moved from Houston. Okay. I went out, stayed with my father a little while in California. And when I got ready to come back home, it wasn't Houston anymore. She had took a job at Disney. So we living in Orlando. And this time, it was like 84, 85. It was kind of the hype of the crack epidemic. Uh, and it was just... It was drugs everywhere. Uh, I remember just, you know, teenager, just seeing a lot of my friends, their their parents getting on drugs, mm. you know, some of my family members getting introduced to it. And uh, it was like it was a new thing from, you know, when I was raised up in the 70s, marijuana was the thing. Now you, you had cocaine yeah. and crack at that, and it was – Devastating. So, yeah, it was devastating. You would see communities just kind of being ravished by this this new thing. And for me, I, I, I didn't try to sell drugs as uh, while I was in school, but it, it was like my 12th grade year when it was introduced to me. And it was, I was working a job. Um, I was in this work program where I can go leave fifth period and go work for four hours. So, you know, I had money, I was driving and I had some friends that mothers was using drugs and selling it at, at their home. Mm. 
And my friend, I'll never forget, he said, hey, man, if you give me 100 bucks, I give you 150 back. And I say, okay, that's that's good that's math. Smart. That's yeah. good math. You know, I give him a hundred. You gonna give me a hundred fifty back? Sure. So I did that a few times, and I remember the day he gave me the money. He say, "Look, I know the guy who sells it. You drive, and if you take me there, we'll get it. We can cut my mom out, and we'll make more money." Is that the hook? Was that the that was that's Satan how really that was kind of like yeah that was like my first time mm. really seeing what it was because at that time I didn't have my hands on it so now I'm mm. taking him and we picking it up and I never forget um, they had just kind of came out with Jordans at that time Air Jordan yeah I remember that and um, we filled up an Air Jordan box full of tens and twenties because we just kept doing the same thing. Until you know, we 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 was kind of ramping it up. And did so, you justify it at the time and just say like, I'm just driving? Like, did you find yourself like, you know, when you give um, when you give Satan an inch? Yeah. Next yeah. thing you know, he's all in. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was just like, okay, I'm just yeah. like you saying, I'm just driving. I'm picking it up. He's selling it. Yeah. We splitting the money out. It was it was like. Very early on, it was just like, oh, it ain't no big deal. I'm still working. I'm doing the right things. I finished high school. Uh, I became a teenage father, uh, and that kind of changed things for me uh, when that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then then you got more ramped up into it, yeah. making and, more and, money. And that's when I just say, hey, you know, I finished high school. Uh, I had an opportunity to become a culinary chef. Uh, see, uh, my a bright future. Yeah, my teacher had got me a a, a scholarship because I was in this food service class for three years, um, but I wouldn't take it because they wanted to pay me seven bucks an hour, and I was already making twenty bucks an hour at the Compre Double Tree in Lake Monta Vista, and I was like, no, nah, I can't go back to that. I'm a teenage father now, and those trips start going. You know, I had friends that went to. Uh, BCC is BCU at the time is Bethune Cookman and you know I'm going down there on the weekend partying and you know we we find a little place that you know it's a lot of people want drugs and mm-hmm. so the next thing you know we on the highway going from Orlando to Daytona it's on the weekend to sell drugs and come out back with a bunch of money and then yeah. I'll go back to work on Monday like that never happened yeah. so I kind of see what happened, what was modeled for me. It, it wasn't until I stepped all the way off the porch is when I stopped working, period. But yeah. early on, I was trying to work. I said, I'll work, do the right thing, and then This is I'll, just something I'm doing on the side, yeah, is, not this, a big deal. Yeah, and it's then, just a little side hustle. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that how Satan always works in our lives, so? Yeah. It's just this one little thing. One little thing. One little compromise, no big deal. And the next thing you know, you're fully into it. Yeah, and that's what happened to me. At the height of you selling drugs, paint that picture for me. What did that look like? So uh, I stopped working. You know, I, I kind of knew so I was— Drug dealing was your full-time job Yeah, at this point. so now I'm like, uh, at this time, I didn't, I didn't came to Atlanta. So mm-hmm. what happened is um, I, I had a bunch of friends that we all got accepted to DeVry University. So I remember uh, coming up on the weekend to Atlanta, kind of partying, hanging out with a few folks. And I was like, man, I want to move to Atlanta. 
So I came back and told my mom, hey, you remember that school that accepted me? I'm going to go to Atlanta, and I'm, I'm going to join this. I'm going to get in this school. Uh, she didn't know that I had a, a whole nother plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had met some guys on Bankhead Highway, and they was like, man, when you come back, we, this is what we're going to do. So I went back, resigned my job. I, I was smart enough. They was like, oh, you know, it's a double tree in Atlanta. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I might go by and apply. Um, but uh, I put a kilo of cocaine in the door, and me and a guy, we jumped on the highway, and we came to Atlanta. And uh, landed on Bankhead, and it's kind of like what I said was perpetrated on me. Now I had to become this person that everybody thought I was, because now I didn't, I didn't portray myself to be this person now. Because you know I got a nice car, and, mm-hmm. you know I got money, and it's it's like. Before you know it, I'm I'm just fully engulfed in this thing, and I'm like, man, I got to do it for real now because this is what people think I'm doing. And so, how how often, how much money, like what what are you talking about when you say I'm now fully into drugs? Paint, explain that to me. Well, you know, it's it 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 was, um, you know, it's it, you know, it's probably I don't want to say I'm I was one of the inventors of a trap house. But, you know, we stopped standing on corners and start getting rental houses and setting up these operations that, you know, they could do very well uh, in the course of a day. It was definitely more than what people was making, you know, months and years. You know, we could do that in a day's time. Wow. And so it's it's, it's kind of like... You know, I set up like a, a little business, yeah. And it was other guys involved, and you know, we get involved with people that are way bigger than us in it, and and it it, it just kind of kind of grew. It did it ever kinda, scare you? Yeah, it was because you were with scary. some bad people. It was real scary. It was real scary. Uh, I I got a lot of reminders once I was in prison uh, of how. When you hear stories of maybe people that was coming to rob you, and you didn't even know it, but now they can talk about it because y'all both are in the same place, and they might talk about it to another guy that they might didn't know that know me, and be like, "Yeah, man, you know they was they had some plots," hmm. and you're like, "Wow, you know." So yeah, it was it was real dangerous. Do you know anybody from those days? Are they still alive? Or are they? Yeah, it's uh, I know guys that's still out, um, still around. Uh, it was it was you know I, I got a good friend that you know he was from Orlando. I remember maybe about seven years ago he called me because of course he know me as you know turning my life around and all this, and he asked me, "How do you get out of the streets?" Mm. And I just told him, "Hey, you got to stop." Right, well, yeah, you just got to surrender. Mm-hmm. But you, you had God really intersect your life to get you to stop. Yeah, yeah, I was a hard hit. <laughs>
How did God change Greg's life? That story coming up in 30 seconds on the Jewel Show podcast. On the latest episode of the Finding Joy podcast, we visit with former All-Pro Atlanta Falcon Greg Brezina. We visited with Greg at the offices of his counseling center, Christian Families Today, for a very candid conversation. Our Sunday school teacher told us that God hears the prayers of good little boys, but he doesn't hear the prayers of bad little boys. He died the next day. I really hated God. It's the Finding Joy podcast. Find it under the On Air tab at thejoyfm.com or anywhere that you subscribe to find podcasts. Tell everybody what happened when God came and intersected your life. Because you were on the fast track. Yeah, so I, I believe I re- you, know, you always receive warning before the full destruction comes. So in 1993... Uh, while trafficking drugs on a motorcycle, I hit a pole doing 130 miles an hour. And it's where uh, I blew out my right kneecap. And I just didn't take that as a warning that, okay, maybe God want to do something different in my life. Because it was so serious to the point to when I was rushed to the hospital I was laying next to a man that had been stabbed 13 times. And I remember talking to a young nurse. I had about 3,200 bucks in my front pocket. And I remember telling her to get a little money out because after I go up under the anesthesia, I ain't, I'm not going to remember nothing, but I want my, my, my people to be able to get the money. Mm. And she said, Mr. Washington, you're losing a lot of blood. You don't need to be thinking about money. And I remember the doctors leaving me to attend to this gentleman that had been stabbed 13 times by his girlfriend. And I remember hearing that sound that I don't think nobody want to hear, especially if you're in the hospital, where he flatlined. I just heard something say, beep. And I remember whispering up under my voice, like, Lord, don't let me die because you know I'm not ready. So I had that encounter. I, I stay in the hospital about six months. And I get out, and so now I got to figure out how to live with a limp. Cause that you I, still have. Yeah, still, still have my leg that I, st- yeah, that I still have. God gave me a reminder um, how much He loved me because eventually they wanted to amputate my leg, and they went through all that, and they say, hey. and you, you call it is the is the limp. Yeah. That yeah. that when you wrestled with God. Yeah, it was it was like me wrestling with God and. And he, he, he said, I'm going to give you a reminder of my grace and mm. my mercy and how I've kept you when you couldn't keep yourself. That's right. So, so it's a gift. Yeah. You it was, see it as a gift. Yeah, God. I see it as a gift. Most people, every time they see me, hey, what's wrong with John? Man, it's just blessings. You know, <laughs> the goodness it's of blessing. God. It's blessing. Yeah. This is a reminder every day that uh, he had his hands on me mm. uh, because I really believe I was. I had an encounter with death, and it just, he, he said, nope, not right now. Mm. I could have easily been, that could have been the end of Greg Washington. You wouldn't hear me telling my story now. So I think, um, so after that, I'm like, okay, it seemed like I got a little bit more serious after the accident about selling drugs. Because, you know, of course, now the money's changing, the amount of drugs is changing. And uh, um, so you made it. Wait, 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 go back. You, you made it through the surgery, mm-hmm. and and you're still you still come out of it, still doing yeah it Greg's way. 
Greg's way. I come Still out. Yeah, I, 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 I'm like, okay, now I'm feeling like what I was doing, it owed me something now. You know, like I got to make it anyway because mm. now people probably count me out because uh, I didn't fail and they didn't hear about the motorcycle accident. So um, several more years go by, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really engulfed into this life and um, guy that I was connected with, he, he, he called me from a federal prison after getting caught and said, hey, man, it's over with. Uh, you need to stop what you're doing. You know, uh, this is the end of the road right now. And I was like, and I didn't listen. So uh, yet again, it was God saying, "Yeah, Greg, stop, stop yeah, in New York. Yeah, still wasn't listening. Still not going. Uh, he wound up getting 45 years. Because uh, wow. uh, he had a lot of drugs. <laughs> and uh, he was like, um, man, you know. So I, I went to Georgia Institute of Real Estate. So I said, okay. And here's where that hustle mindset plays. I said, well, I can legitimize myself now. I'm going to go to real estate school. And um, I get halfway through it. I finished. I actually finished. But no, probably I couldn't be a licensed realtor because I, 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 I had a gun charge. I had a few charges on my record. I hadn't went to prison for anything. But I said, well, I can take the knowledge and I can go to buying and selling homes. So I go take off to the same community I had been in, buying these little dilapidated houses, fixing them up. But I had the wise idea, okay, I'm going to rent it to a buddy that I know sell drugs. So eventually um, in 2001, they bust one of the houses as I had a duplex up and they found 40 grams of crack in the wall with a 40 caliber and they arrested me for it. Now God in the midst of all of that, is working like he always working. Uh, I met a pastor named uh, Dr. F. Keith Slaughter. He was he had just took past, pastoral over this small church called Brown Chapel, and he had pulled up to one of my work sites and asked me who was doing the work. And I said, well, oh, my company, you know, I had started an investment company called Real Estate Investors Development Enterprise, LLC. You know, I'm, I'm trying to legitimize myself. I'm thinking I'm, I'm, think I'm smart. <laughs> and I'm going to take possession of these homes. And, you know, I'm going to build my empire this way. Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, well, I, I'm looking for someone to replace the steeple on the church. And I said, well, I have my guys come look by, and what this is what I'll do. I'll do it as a tax write-off. Um, we'll, we'll replace it for you, and I'll just, I won't charge you. He said, okay, sound good. Uh, I didn't know I was going to have to spend a lot of money because it was a lot of rotten wood. It was, it was an older church. But, of course, you know, he's a pastor. He invited me to church. And I remember going to church, and I don't remember anything he preached about. But he said something about my favorite a uh, rapper, which was Tupac Shakur. And that's all I remember him saying. And the next thing you know, I'm standing at the altar, weeping well, and just telling him how bad a guy I am. I had drugs. I had a brand-new truck in the parking lot. It had money and drugs in it, in his parking lot. And I was like, man, I need something. And hmm. it was all happening right at the same time. Right after that, I get, I get busted. 
I get it. I get locked up. I, I bun out, and now I'm getting ready to go to trial. And it was just like God was. I was coming to Him, but I didn't know He was going to take me on this journey and allow me to receive it on uh, October the 31st of 2002 a 20-year sentence for trafficking. And in your book, can I just say it? it, it, it you have it. You have it printed up. What page is this? Like almost page one, Greg. Almost page one. Yeah. What made you do that? And it and it says right there, twenty years. Uh, you know, it was the best thing that happened for me. I don't even know if that judge know. He probably saved my life because I believe if I wouldn't receive the harsh sentence like that, mm-hmm. and really had that time to sit down and let God minister to me. I don't know, you know, I think about it sometime. What if I would have got off? They only wanted to give me 14 months for that charge. And my second daughter was being born, and I said, I can't be in prison with her being born. So that's why I took it to trial. And it just, it it was a game changer for me. It just, that harsh sentence really uh, rung true, and wow. it, it made me have to deal with me. Mm. Yeah, and really hear God's voice in your yeah. heart. Out of uh, the twenty years, h- how much of that did you serve? Uh, about forty, about forty months. Forty months. Yeah. What was some of the big things? Now looking back, that you felt like God taught you during those forty months? Uh, to trust Him, because He told, He spoke through my attorney. My attorney, when I originally got the sentence, He said, "Greg, you're only going to do five years." And I did just about five years out of just staggering, still a staggering amount of time. And I'm like, "Uh, no, I mean, the when I went through the diagnostics, I had a piece of paper that said 1031 2022. My maximum release date still haven't came yet. Technically, you should still be behind bars if that's what the state of Georgia wanted to do. If they would just say, hey, you served your 20 years, I would still be in. So those five years, you said God taught you um, to trust him. Yeah, just trust him. Just trust trust the process because he was doing something. Uh, he allowed me to run into some amazing men of God, men that love God. Who were also serving? Who was also serving time. And it's actually, they were the first guys to encourage me to start telling my story. So for a long time, I didn't talk about the motorcycle accident. I didn't talk about what happened. I didn't talk about my father and stuff that probably shaped and molded me to be who I was up until that point. But in there, uh, I started talking about it uh, for the first time, mm. and it was it was freeing. It was healing. Mm. Um, yeah. So. And Greg, I don't think I think you probably shocked a lot of people to hear there are godly people who are serving time behind oh, bars. Yeah. Yeah, so like that's probably something that. No one's ever thought of because you yeah. just think criminals, bad people. It's some, it's some mighty men and probably women of God that really, you know, a lot of times when you go to prison, most people say, oh, they just doing that because they're in that situation. But it was some genuine mm-hmm. men that I ran into that love God. They still loving God. A lot of them out loving God. So 
um, you know, true transformation can come, uh, you know, and we know the Bible, you know, the Lord always talked about the prisoner. Yeah. So the prison is not excluded from the salvation plan. That's right. That's right. And that really, I'm sure, drives you to what you're doing now with um, City of Refuge, which tell tell people about that ministry and what you're doing. This is pretty well, incredible. Yeah. So, um, man, uh, I came to City of Refuge in 2006 after being released from prison. Met a great guy named Scott Hour uh, that was volunteering over there and when I came home, when I paroled home, I told him I was looking for a church. I wanted to get involved in something. I just wanted to be used, and he brought me to the city refuge. So I came to city refuge as a volunteer. Uh, I was just helping out. Uh, they were doing a lot of f- uh, street feeding ministry at the time, um, and I just got involved. It's just like I got engulfed, but it was the first time that I came to a place and I remember going on a men's retreat and meeting Bruce, who's the CEO of City Refuge. And I and I told him my story. He said, what's your story? So I tell him my story like I'm telling you. And i never forget, he said, what's next? And it's like from there, the journey starts. So City Refuge is a place that uh, help people transition out of crisis, and they do it in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, they stand on light, hope, and transformation, and they help women and children that find themselves in crisis come out. They help um, men like myself that was in crisis. And when you say crisis, you know, for me, coming to City Refuge, my crisis was I needed to come to know who Greg Washington was. And I needed people to start believing in me as a person. And that's what happened at City Refuge. You know, we say we bring light, hope, and transformation. And last year I won the Transformation Award. You know, because over the last 14 years, uh, they have been eyewitness to what God can take Mm. from a person that was considered a convicted felon. Mm. And I'm just telling you, that story just went amazingly. uh, Because when my sentence was modified to 10 and I paroled out in in 2006, they wrote letters for me, City Refuge. The leadership wrote letters for me. Wow. I received a commuted sentence in 2010 where I didn't suppose to get off parole to 2012, but I got off in 2010. So when five years had passed, which, well, seven years had passed, the same people that wrote letters for me in 2010 wrote letters for me to the board, and I received a pardon by the Georgia uh, pardons and parole. So I've been able to get married at City Refuge. Be encouraged uh, behind bars. Be I mean, yeah. encouraged. Um, just my whole life yeah. have been transformed. And it's, you know, for eight and a half years, um, I've did everything from mop floors at City Refuge <laughs> to take out trash, to run our warehouse, to for eight and a half years, me and my wife was youth program directors and youth pastors to come in full circle to doing the ministry that I'm doing now, the Tyro ministry at City Refuge, where I go back in to the very prison that I told God I wasn't coming back to because I told him when he said, you coming back through the front gates, I say no because I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm going to be a law-abiding citizen. I want to live my life like everybody else. 
but I didn't know the assignment would to be uh, go in and to encourage men to do the same thing that was done for me. How often do you see God use your testimony? How often do you say it over and over as a, as hope for these <sighs> other men? Well, you know, w- when I start a class, because what I teach, uh, which is the Tyro program, is teaching them to tell their story. So Which is I, exactly what those other men taught, taught you. Me. <laughs> it's like a circle all over it's, again. It's like a circle. Yeah. And it's amazing because the founders of Tyro is Ron and Kathy Tiarina. And Ron, he's from Ohio. He has an amazing story where he did 15 years for something that he didn't do. And that's how Tyro was birthed. Hmm. So I fly up about two years ago and learn everything from him and bring it back to Atlanta and he was like, you know, he told me, he said, Greg, when you start facilitating this, it's going to be a game changer. People are going to be changed because of your your story. He said, you know, and that's what makes Tyro so powerful because we're saying, hey, look, own the good, the bad, and the ugly. Own all that stuff because then it has no more power over you. Mm-hmm. But you had to be, you had to surrender to that. Because yeah. I'm sure the temptation to cover this up is has got to be so strong. Oh yeah, and and the temptation of um of not walking back into jail again yeah. willingly, you know, yeah. on yeah. your own accord, go back into the same prison you were in. Yeah, yeah. So, you had to surrender all of that. Yeah, and I just told him it was his plan. I'm on God's yeah. t- timetable, uh, and I just let him lead, and I'm just gonna be obedient to follow what it is because. Uh, I just really believe that um, he's raising up a remnant of men in prison mm-hmm. that's going to come out and change the kingdom. And I just think I'm I'm like a forerunner for that. It happened for me, and I think he sent me back in to to give be that stream of hope for guys so they can come out and they can do the same thing. Because one thing he did give me, and I have to say this because – every time I get a chance to speak about this is he was very clear on what he wanted me to tell men. And he wanted me to tell men to come out, stay out, cover your families, come out, marry that woman that's been loving on your kids or y'all having kids together because that's, that's what's going to change that generational cycle of going to prison. Mm -hmm. The way we break that is men come out and be men of honor, men of integrity, be able to do what it is that they need to do, and that break the cycle so the kids won't have to because I've seen that happen in yeah. my own life. I saw where if if I would have been more aware, if someone else would have been more aware of what was being set in my presence, mm-hmm. I think you know, um, prison probably wouldn't have been something that I had to experience. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't going to be an option. Yeah. You didn't have to live a life of crime like your uncle and your yeah. stepdad and all the other men in your life. Yeah. Hmm. You know, Greg, um, I saw you walk in and I saw you uh, with that limp. Right. That, and, and then, you know, and knowing your story of God allowed um, terrible things to happen in your life to accomplish something that he loves. Right. And that's to redeem you. 
And um, and I know you said I was a hard headed. So <laughs> it you know even with my grandmother standing at the um, bus, I mean at the train stop, yeah, and saying this is not the life for you, and the nurse saying you shouldn't worry about money, you're yeah. bleeding, you might not make it, you know, right. And um, and, and then getting the twenty years strength over and over, and God, uh, time again, God was pursuing you. Yeah. And looking back now, I mean, praise God. I mean, He yeah. kept on pursuing you. Yes, I'm, I'm glad He didn't give up on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, before we leave, okay. I've heard, first of all, I want to say thank you for sharing this with us. Yes. And, yes. Um, and what you're doing with City of Refuge. Yes. And, and offering hope um, only through Jesus. Yeah. Would you spend some time maybe encouraging that grandma that's praying for their child right now in prison? Right. Or that mom yes. that's seeing their, their son or daughter. Um, yes. be, believe in the lie that the fast, easy money is the only way. Yeah. So... Um, what I would say to that is, if you've been praying for them, please just know that your prayers are not going unanswered. Um, I know uh, my grandmother got some prayers through to me. That's the only reason I'm here. And I have a bunch of cousins now that we get a chance to talk about grandmother prayers. So we respect the, the, the prayers of mothers. Uh, continue to intercede for your kids. And leave the results up to God. I think that's where a lot of the frustration came. My grandmother was a very patient woman. And I think, you know, I have a few cousins that came to know Jesus Christ before she left this earth at 98 years old. She wow. saw a lot of us come to the Lord. And uh, so, you know, just continue to pray for him and just trust that he will give the results that's needed. Mm. Yeah. I bet your grandma right now is jumping up and down and praising God what you just said. Yes, yes, amazing woman, amazing woman. She was a little woman. But she <laughs> with big prayers. With big prayers, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Jewel Show podcast. You can learn more about Greg and his book at mindofahustlerbook.com. That is mindofahustlerbook.com. Hey, tell your friends about the Jewel Show podcast available at thejoyfm.com and from your favorite podcast provider.